Hi, I'm Maria Stolger and welcome to episode 121 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. Happy 2022, wherever you are in the world. Here in Sydney, we're weathering an Omicron outbreak, as are most places in the world. Uh, But unlike most places in the world, we've managed to keep numbers of cases low until now, and we're now experiencing what it's like to hear about lots of people we know getting COVID. Uh, Thankfully, it's milder than Delta, so all the best to those of you isolating right now. For those of you who are long-time listeners of the podcast, you might remember last summer I posted episodes over January which were extended audio recordings of videos I've taken of my previous podcast guests. And I've got a few more excellent ones to share with you this year. As is the way with videos, a lot of material gets edited out in the making. So I'm bringing you the longer conversations, including parts that weren't in the videos. I spoke with Joshua Yeldum in 2020 in the lead up to his amazing show Providence at Art House Gallery, and you can hear my conversation with him in episode 101 of the podcast. His approach to painting and his views on the creative process are fascinating, and I really recommend you listen to that episode if you haven't already. It's currently the most listened to episode on the podcast. If you've heard that episode, though, you'll know that his painted works often also involve an element of carving into the board on which they're painted, and in some cases, insertion of pieces of cane, adding a further dimension to the work. There's a link in the show notes to a short video version of the audio in this episode, where you can also see inside Josh's studio. Joshua currently has some beautiful work hanging in Art House Gallery's summer group show in Sydney, which also happens to have some brilliant work of podcast guests Colin Pennock, Susan Baird, Nicole Kelly, Joe Bertini, Michelle Bolter and Belinda Fox, as well as many other fabulous artists. So if you're in Sydney, there are lots of good reasons to get to Rush Cutters Bay. And so here's my chat with Joshua Yeldum. So I've, I've been painting for about, I don't know exactly, but say 25 years. Definitely in that first decade was all two-dimensional painting. Um, but um, in a bucket in the studio was a, was a belt sander that a carpenter had left for a job that he did on a window. And I think it sat in that bucket for like two years, this belt sander. And just one day painting on board, I, I looked in the bucket and saw it. And I guess that connection came was I felt like... Um, hitting a picture with it and from that moment it just ignited uh, the ability to carve in versus layer on paint and I've always loved and grown up with African sculpture in particular with my stepfather who was an avid collector and naturally very inspired by Australian indigenous art um, but but also uh, inspired by New Guinean highland art so I love the concept of carving in and um, that grew where I just started carving everything. I became really obsessed. Even I would carve leaves. You know, I just, it just took off. Um, and then came Kane. I watched a documentary about a blind man who was a basket weaver when I was young. And I think that also finally germinated like a seed. And so I bought some cane and learned how to wet it and bend it and put it into the pictures. You know, I think that the reasoning was I was spending so much time in mangroves with the little roots that it connected me to that. And also my wife, Jo, is an acupuncturist. So drilling a hole into a picture where I feel like there's energy, like in Chinese medicine, we have meridian lines 
that you find energetic points for change or for healing in every picture that I make are these meridian lines that I can then cane and give it more energy and activate. And so mm. you'll find here, like here, you'll find the canes are activating the edges or the boundary of this owl. And I put little bits of titanium white on them so that when sunlight hits them, they illuminate like lights, like little, like little LEDs. And then the owl is really a landscape with inside her. So this is called Monsteria Owl where I'm paying homage to the great monsteria plant, which is this one here that has grown these enormous roots um, to live above soil and it's tapping into the soil below. But its knowledge is so clever is that it can live in a tree and drop roots. And I think as artists, that's so invaluable is if there's challenges in your life, how do you drop these creative tapper roots that give you stability and give you capability? And I think that's, one of the paths that an artist has to find is finding a crack in the monotony of life or the busyness of life to claim our space to make and practice. Mm -hmm. And I, in this painting, am paying homage to the monsteria and paying homage to the owl who's like a great gatekeeper for me to the dream, you know, to my kind of imagining world. I, I heard you say something really interesting in a, in a podcast, a, I think about a year ago, um, Jackie Lewis and you were saying that you know once they the works go to the gallery you sort of detach from them in a way and it's the ones in the studio that you know you feel close to or whatever um is it that must be a strange feeling seeing them in the gallery um if you know if you're in an abundant space where you're you're in a space in your life where you're making quite a few things then you become less attached to letting something go. Like if I was only able to make one picture a year, I wouldn't be able to give that picture to anyone other than myself. And I think if you look at a waterhole, if there's a lot of water in the waterhole, many animals can come and drink. And so I think one of the tricks is how, as a creative, how do you create abundance? Because then you're able to let things leave you. And Sometimes I'm not in abundance, so I'm unable to let things go. I'm fighting for them or they're collapsing or I find that they're not, um, they're not breathing yet. They don't have an energy field that is strong enough. Um, but letting a show go is kind of symbolic that they've reached a point where they no longer ask me to come back to them. They no longer require me to touch them. And that's the only way I know when it's finished is that the, my sensual relationship with them is shutting down and I'm no longer... Um, paying attention to them and they're no longer calling me back and so it's very much like a relationship and the other part is I keep I keep the works that have the knowledge for the next crop so that's really important because I'm making work in a way that's for an exhibition but in that are the mother the mother paintings that have knowledge for my next series next year so it's very important that I hold those because I haven't yet had time to digest the next seeds of my future. And uh, How do you know which ones they're going to be? Because um, uh, they won't let me leave them. I have to keep touching them. You know, they're just too sensual. Uh, um, and uh, other ones are sometimes um, pictures that are really coming from a, from a sorrow place that 
that I'm not able to release to public. You know, there's a, there's a level of mourning in them that I haven't yet resolved in myself to release that mourning. So it very much coincides with inner, inner makings and how um, a picture is a, is a reflection of, of, of inner makings. Um, and letting them go is also a symbol that I've gone beyond. I've left, I've left a part of my skin leave me. So I'm letting, I'm, I'm letting old Josh go and I'm receiving new knowledge, which is the new work. And that's why your comment was, I'm really loyal to what's in here because this is the now. I'm in the now and I'm not romantic and I'm not sentimental about past work and, and I never dwell on my past work. I never really think about it. Do you ever look at it and feel like that you didn't, that you, you're surprised you did it? Uh, yeah, so when I go, occasionally I'll go into a home and see another work of mine from say five years ago and there's an out of body experience of memory where I don't recall making and I think that's also connected to that I actually have a very short memory in, its, in daily life, I have a very short memory of what's happened. And um, I don't recall effort. So I don't actually remember the effort of pictures, which really helps me because they're so detailed. If I, if I clocked effort, I think I go insane because they're so intense. <laughs> yeah. So I've taught myself yeah. to not remember the process or the weight. It's a bit like you have to dig a trench for a plumbing pipe. You know, and you look at the scale of the trench, you can't hold weight of the effort required to dig 12 meters by 400. You just got to go, I'm just going to shovel. And it's the same with pictures. You know, you can't hold. And sometimes my ego wants the picture made really quickly because the ego is hungry and it wants it wants reward. And you just have to just go back into your practice and your rituals to just say, hey, it's just about the marking before me it's the marking before it's the tap 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 and in this is the whole rhythm system that i use of like melody like tap 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 and that's going back into rhythm that cultures have used for forever about going into to melodic sequencing and losing the concept of weight losing the concept of perfection which you wanted to dive into a bit um, losing all these kind of rigid structures that we build all the time. The rhythm, when you have to do a really long walk and, and carry something from the boat to the mangroves, and that's going to take 25 minutes of carrying your easel into the bush, you've just got to get into the rhythm, the sound of the water moving through your feet and not the weight. And I think a lot of people pull out of art because of the weight that they've added to something that they feel has to be great before they've even started. And so to me, it's about sensuality. And therefore, whenever you're sensual with your senses, you know, you stop predicting the future as much. You stop trying to ask for a reward before you've put the rhythm into it. Mm. That's interesting because um, I get the feeling with your work that it's almost a two-step process. So you've got, because the carving part is, is sort of separate from the painting in a way. And so... Do you think that that in a way gives you, because there is these two steps, then it, it sort of can make you, um, what am I looking for? It sort of, it makes you work harder in a way because you've got to get to that step to do the next step. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think uh, some of the works don't really require a carving. I can just work with line work and paint. Um, I think the carving is still my training of, um, it's, part, it's attached to my meditation training which is about um, 
letting go uh, of trying to teach myself to let go of the negative thoughts that are spinning in my head by using something that is aggressive like this and spins and makes dust. And in that dust, I see levels of imagination in the dust and it starts spiraling and I start kind of getting a bit trippy. And as I carve for like 30 minutes, um, my breathing and the environment and sometimes music, I, I, I find that I'm um, calming myself down and I'm tapping into what I said before, the sensual space or the reverent space or a space where even if I collapse the work by accident and it collapses, there's no right and wrong, there's no black and white, there's no good and bad, there's no, you're, you're, you know, uh, this is going to be a great work or a shit work. You know, this, none of these words hold up, they all collapse. And mm. I'm able to, it's like you're holding someone's hand that you're really excited to hold. You know, you're in this space in the now where you're just kind of, you're like, you're vibed up and you're, you're it's, it's like improv jazz, you know. Mm. It's really electric and I thrive off that. And therefore, the pictures just emerge over time. The question is, can I carve enough time to allow one to germinate like, like farming? And that's how I see painting. It's very much like growing plants. You know, some stay fallow in my drawers for two or three years. Some paintings I leave in the bush and just leave them there, um, wrap them up in plastic. Everything's got its own time to then have the next layer of knowledge how to bring it about. Some pictures just go right through to completion because they're on a roll. But it's always different and um, I don't work in any set practice, uh, no, no rules except one rule I have which is late at night if a picture, if I do something to a picture that's really awesome, I stop and I save that for when I wake up in the morning, I've got that awesomeness to go to. And that means each morning I'm generally got something a bit excited to like, like Winnie the Pooh, you know, I've, I've got something excited to run to and play with, you know, yeah. that get sticky in. Yeah. That's yeah. It's such a great idea. Yeah. yeah. But it's, I suppose you've got to have the control to stop. That's part again of, of ritual because ritual is a lot about pausing. Rituals are, are a process of us learning to slow the world down, to slow the desirous reward system down and just hold this as if it's in one world it's a 12 volt engine but in another another world it's it's a recipe for magic it's like flour and yeast and water that gives us our beautiful sourdough and with the mother this thing is beyond what sells at the hardware store it's an extension of my hand it's an extension of my feelings it's just uh, a magical element if I go beyond the plastic, you know? And I think that's the imagining world is being able to go beyond this, this framework, go beyond and, uh, and turn, re-sculpt our universe in the imagining. And I think that's where a lot of us are finding that's not being permitted. You know, we all have to follow, even software, we have to follow structures that yeah. are presented to us. Yeah. Even Instagram, you know, there's so much modeling that we're following and we're all becoming aware of it now. Mm -hmm. So now is an amazing time to try new things like playing with clay, letting the subconscious come up and take us, take us places that we've never been to before. What you're going to hear next is the sound of a Dremel power tool, which Josh is using to carve into a huge piece of thick cotton paper. 
On that paper, he's printed a photo he took on his iPhone of a mangrove tree and he's removing the pigment in the area he's carving to leave patches of the white paper underneath. If you go to the Talking With Painters website, talkingwithpainters.com, you'll see the feature photo of this episode is of Josh carving into this image. So that's paper. That's paper on dye bond. And so what I'm doing is I'm eating away like a termite. And then I'm following the striations of the bark. And that's kind of the mapping for me to, to learn how to carve and ordain this tree um, is, to, is to dive into the tonality. And that's what my eye tracks. It tracks the tonality and I carve, you know, I move up through it like a little termite and um, work incrementally in small areas and then as I step back it just starts all becoming like cherry blossom like like it, the whole all the leaves will be carved and um yeah it will so yeah I never know uh kind of the end result but it's I also use um I also use a vacuum cleaner for dust it's not great to breathe in a lot so in, in this case we're filming I'm just showing you uh, But it gets very refined and meditative for me as I go into the bark structures that are on the pigment print from my, this was shot on an iPhone. Wow. Um, and it's blown up on the printer. And the beauty of that is it's already kind of, the image is already, um, the binary code is already broken down and starting to collapse. And so I can follow the, the pigment kind of striations and, and make these kind of, geometric kind of shapes. Um, the tree is very important to me because I've grown up with this tree for, you know, for, well, probably for about 15 years and the kids have been babies here. And this one tree I've been painting, maybe four win prizes have been this tree, um, a mangrove, gray mangrove. And is it, it's not far from here? It's uh, 12 minutes by boat. Oh, and, yeah. um, you know, mangroves have so much intelligence, like they have amazing uh, ability to adapt so they can take brackish water, being a grey mangrove, and turn it into nutrients and then pump the salt up through its system and deliver the salt all the way out into the leaf where it becomes a little salt crystal on the leaf that the rain then washes back into the mangrove. So it's a complete rotation of salt. You know, in 15 years, I've never seen another human up in the back country because no one wants to get muddy and go up there. And so I have it to myself. The whole area of mangroves is just like a, a hidden world up there. Um, yeah. And it's quite magical. I like, um, I like processes of destruction in work because out of destruction, I've got to bring creativity. I've got to bring it out of something that's collapsing. And so I don't mind degraded imagery or low resolution imagery because... I'm actually just using it as a template to discover my carving. Um, and that way, um, you know, like for example, if I carve this oyster, I can activate the oyster by going into it. I can, I'll show you here, I can highlight it and pop, pop the blacks in my oyster. As if, as if uh, this almost iridescent light is cocooning them. And I'm starting to pop and follow up through. So, yeah, and then I can create striations, which are more line work. And I'm following the existing line work that's in the trunk 
but that becomes my map making and then what happens is I start losing thought I start drifting into just line making and my imaginings can take off from there because no longer is intelligence really working in its normal way I'm just starting to drift and if I do this for say two or three hours I, I don't really exist on an earthly plane so much I'm just caught up in the line making and that's when you start having other kinds of thoughts you know you start going deeper you start going deeper into the mind you start drifting you have flashbacks you just there's no right and wrong there's no perfection um, there's no uh, there's just no rules and it's a bit like sand painting making lines at the beach with a stick you know there's just attraction like what are you attracted to or another word might be uh, charmed like I'm building up some kind of matrix that charms me to go beyond just a degraded image and to a place where I'm giving reverence to this tree that's literally over that ridge and into the bay mm. so because I'm here in a house with four walls I'm learning how to build something that is an offering to a place that I consider very special to me and that's the element of ritual and practice is to keep tying myself back into the rhythms of nature that have been so generous to me. What a fabulous inspirational artist. Get to Art House Gallery for some Yeldum inspiration if you have a chance. Also, I'm hanging out on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter on the summer break, so see you there. Thanks for listening and I hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking with Painters.